Hi, everyone. It's me, Reshma Sajani, the founder and CEO of Girls Who Code. Welcome to Brave Not Perfect. On this podcast, I talk with up-and-coming changemakers from all around the world, but with a little twist. Every episode is going to highlight ideas from my new book, Brave Not Perfect. Fear less, fail more, and live bolder. Get ready to break free from the cult of perfection. Today, I'm talking with Danielle Weisberg and Carly Sakin, founders of a little website maybe you heard of called The Skim. The two former news producers launched The Skim from their couch in 2012 as a simple newsletter. And now they have over 7 million subscribers, reaching them Monday through Friday with bite-sized news and recommendations. They are two of my favorite failure champions. In my book, I interviewed them about their fail-so-hard hat and their approach to showing the mess behind the scenes of their powerhouse startup. Meet these two amazing women, Danielle and Carly. Hi, I'm Danielle Weisberg, co-founder and co-CEO of The Skim. And I'm Carly Zakin, also co-founder and co-CEO at The Skim. So you guys have made so many brave moves in your life. Do you feel like you were raised to be fearless? That is such an interesting question that we actually talk about a lot. Because on one hand, I say yes, and then the other hand, I say no. Yeah, I feel the same way. I think the word fearless was not used in my household. I would say I was raised to have guts. So you could say that's like a synonym. I was raised to definitely like believe in myself um, and to go after what I want. I think that we were both raised, one, by really strong moms. Mm. We were also both raised to have opinions and to be very open with our opinions, like to have a thought, to say it, to be known, to be out there. And I think both of our moms are like that. Um, And so I think we had female role models. I also remember my dad telling me when I was like, I don't know, like seven, not that I was like saying the word sorry too much. That's awesome. And I like dad. Right. And (laughs) I, I just remember that and I think it was like I was annoying him, right? Like, right. stop apo- – like, like stop a little kid thing, yeah. right? That stuck with me. So I, I think that that's how I think about it on And that's hand. very different, right? A lot of yeah. girls are raised to people please, to like – their moms <laughs> aren't telling them to like raise their voices and tell everybody what they think. Yeah, I would say the reason I'm like fearless, I don't know, is because I don't think I was raised to be a risk taker. Mm. Like, I, I was afraid like, – like, that risk was not like something enjoyed by my family <laughs> – but everything else, like, yes, have guts, go after what you want. So it's a contradiction because there's inherently risks in those things. I also think I have a lot of anxiety. Like, Same. I, yeah. <laughs> I Same. mean, anxiety has been something, like, I battled my whole life. Right. And I know, like, you have too. So I think it's weird when you say, were you raised to be fearless? No. Like, fear is something, like, I think about all the time in random ways. Like, I have to do this, and then I have to do this, and I have to do this. And if one thing falls, I freak out. So I don't think it's fearless. I think it's being almost, I don't know the right way to say it, but it's like, I think we were raised with the expectation that we would do something. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that we've talked a lot about how education is something that both of our parents like really, I think, prioritized and worked to make sure that we had great educations. Because I think that there was an expectation that we are giving this to you. We are going to work hard so that you guys can have that. 
And from there, you better fucking do something with <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Well, that's what's interesting, right? This idea of being gutsy versus being a go-getter. Mm-hmm. Knowing that you're like kind of put on this earth to do something special and unique, but then not having anxiety about taking a risk, right? And both of you guys kind of left really good paying jobs. Well, no. That, <laughs> yeah. no right. We left bad paying stable, jobs. Stable bad paying jobs. Yes. Very bad yes. paying jobs. <laughs> <laughs> Which we love correcting when people are like, oh, my gosh, you left the safe career path. Or it's like, like, no, I didn't even have health insurance. <laughs> and I think actually that's interesting, too, when we talk about media and how people get into media, right? Which is we were really cheap. Like you start off, you make no money, you get paid hourly, you don't have health insurance, you don't have the guarantee of even a full-time job. And so when you get those basic things like a full-time offer – health insurance, it seems like, oh, my God, this is so much stability. You just want to say thank you. Yeah. You're like, this is amazing. Right. But that's not what it really is. So did you feel like when you were leaving to start or quitting to go start the skim that you were actually looking for something more stable because your current job was felt so— I wouldn't say the word stable. I think we were looking um, to be able to take care of ourselves. It was very clearly not a financially sustainable path in our existing roles that would give us the lives and careers that we wanted and aspired to have. So that's like the I'd say like the operational side in us. And then like creatively, like we had other interests that we wouldn't have been able to get exposed to on the editorial path that we were on. Yeah. The way that I say it or we say it now is that we left because, you know, we were able to see that in an era of post-recession, like this was not going to be, there is no stable path anymore. So the way to create more stability was actually by striking out on our own. Yeah. I think that is very well said now. (laughs) That's not how we felt at the time. You know, you talked about, because I had this too, right? This like, my parents sacrificed so much, so I had to do something really special, Mm -hmm. right? So was that driving you? Like, were you sitting there? It wasn't and like, about my parents, but I was, this. I know I can do more than this. I remember I was living in DC. Danielle had moved back to New York by that point. And I had a, a good job. I was, you know, I actually made more money there than I did when I went back to NBC. And I knew that I wasn't living up to my potential. And I just, it was a, it was the worst feeling. Like, I honestly, I hope I never have that feeling again. And I, I, you know, a joke, I was like the quarter life crisis. And if someone came to me today at, at 24 and 25, I'd be like, you're so young, like relax. And, but you couldn't, but you I couldn't, couldn't relax. And I, and I hope I always remember what that feeling was like, because I knew I wasn't being my best self. And I What knew, did it feel like when you were coming home? Like, how did I that felt, feel for you? Um, wasn't like depressed, but I felt unfulfilled. And I felt that I wasn't learn, I wasn't pushing myself and I wasn't getting to the next level in life or, and therefore like in my career, but really, but in life, like I didn't see doors opening for me. And that was very different than my parents sacrificed so much to give me the education that I had. And the goal was for always for the next door to open. And like, this will lead to something else. And then it's up to you, like go, as Danielle said, like, it's your job. Don't fuck it up. And like, I didn't feel like I was doing my part. And what do people say? Did they say, relax, you're so yeah, young. Yeah, like, I think people, chill. people told me to chill. People told me to relax. People told me, well, like, you know, this is the career you chose. Like, if you cared about making more money, like, you shouldn't have, like, majored, you know, in liberal arts or you shouldn't have gone into media. Or if you cared about X, Y, and Z, like, go to get an MBA. And, you know, I, would, I remember, like, I was actually thinking about this the other day. I'm not a good test taker. And I bought 
the GMAT and GRE books. I didn't even know which test to take. <laughs> and I would go study, like not even study, such the wrong word. I would take the books, go to a hotel in D.C. and sit there in the lobby by myself because I was like, I'm going to feel really independent and I'm going to be like this new like location. And I would just sit in this lobby and read these books. I would like practically fall asleep. I didn't, I was like, should I take notes? Should I start making index cards? <laughs> Didn't know which test it was going to lead me to, but it was the only thing I was doing that felt was like starting to open some doors. Just start. What about you? Very different. It was interesting. I was thinking about my parents, and my mom says she basically picked her college because it was the one place they would let her take her horse. Like that, that's how she picked where she went to school, and my dad um, didn't finish college. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom for a while, and then— started her own career and became very successful in that. And my dad was always like the risk taker, entrepreneur. I think that's where I get my like the entrepreneurial kind of gene. Um, So I think that for me to go to like this East Coast school and have this degree and come out and get a job at NBC News, they were like, well, you have like, like you did it all right. You're on the path. And now like how are you like my dad used to wake up early so that he could watch me deliver the newspapers Mm. behind the set of the talent on cnbc that's amazing right and he would call me and laugh and it was like kind of all about i'm watching you on tv like right like kind of all about paying your dues and i did that and then they were like what's next like this is they were what are you you doing right and you know it was kind of annoying because i was like i've done so much like i'm 25 like back (laughs) off But I think that's also how I was raised, which was like the expectation that as a family, there is you help each other. Yeah. And and you push each other and you push each other. And I had seen that with my parents. I had seen it when, you know, things were tough financially for my family. My mom struck out and um, was able to really start a career for herself because our family needed that. Right. Um, and so I think that there, for me at 25, was an expectation that I was going to help my family. And there was an expectation that I would be able to financially support myself always, no matter if I was married, no matter like what, that I would have my own money. And when I started to put these things together and look at the fact that hey, I'm 25 years old. I've gone really far in an organization that I love and want to stay with forever, but they're actually not really giving me any opportunities. It just didn't add up. And I remember the day that I actually I remember the day that we kind of decided that we were going to do it, which is I, I crashed a date that you were on and I sat down and it was right after I got my review. Oh, yeah, you were crying. And I was crying because my boss was like, we think you need more time to develop like as a producer before we give you this role and I had already been doing that job mm. and my default was to cry like I cried yeah. in the review I cried when I met Carly <laughs> and then I think it became like this moment where I was just like you know what like fuck it yeah <laughs> like, and fuck you yeah like and I learned so much and I loved it and I really like I, I think I had the best bosses in the world there and I don't think that speaks to them I think it just speaks to Big companies, Do you right? Think about what what would have happened if you got that promotion? Well, actually, this was crazy. This was my biggest. This is when I almost cried. Yeah, <laughs> our last day at NBC, I had already quit. Carly's at home. Carly, no. I quit, like right I'm in the home. business plan, like ready yeah. to go. Um, and I, you know, was putting in two weeks, and on my very last day of the two weeks, 
they gave me an offer that was what like better, better than, than, what the, than what I wanted. And I was trying to be really supportive. And then I was like, well, what are you thinking? And I'm like, oh, my God, I, I'm, what am I going to do? I was like, I'm going to implode. What were you thinking? You thought about it. I did. <laughs> yeah, I did. I mean, how could you not? Right? I thought about it. Um, how could I not? I, I remember I called my parents and they were just like, too bad for them. Like, it wasn't like it, it, it was they, kind of just like, you know, I think there's a lot about integrity and giving someone your word. And, you know, I think that probably at that time when it was like terrifying to think about giving something up versus something that I had wanted and actually gotten. Yeah. Um, it was much more about like integrity to Carly. I think it was also at the point where I was like, you know, I worked here. It's not an accident that on the last day I'm getting something and who knows, like actually put it in writing, right? Yeah. Like give me the paper, give me. And I, I didn't have trust at that point. So the skim, you know, it's like girls could be always say it's like, it's like a unicorn, right? It's like a once in a lifetime idea that many ways just pops. And, and it, it did really hit from the beginning, people really embraced it and saw the vision and like supported it. What do you think about that? It's a very weird thing to keep something so close to you for so long and then you share it with another person and then you hope that other people feel the same way and see the same thing. Mm. So we actually, until the 11th hour, almost launched anonymously because we were really terrified like of putting ourselves out there. And I honestly don't think, I, like I was like, I don't know if I can withstand the criticism. Ah, because you thought people might reject the idea. Yes. And I remember thinking about all the people I'm going to hear from like from high school or college or whoever, like, you know, just, you know, your network and they're not going to like it. And like, I'm going to have to be really tough and really strong and like you know, believe in what I believe in. So I was mentally preparing myself. And I remember getting the congratulatory notes from some of those people. And I was like, we would like read them to each other. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I can't believe this person likes this. And I was not surprised. I believed in our product. I knew it was good. I believed in the void that we were filling, but it was amazing to see the um, that everyone understood it right away. Everyone but the investor community, but that everyone like got it. And I I remember you know as especially like in the really the first two years, as things would start to happen or like momentum would would take place. I would just like literally like look up at the ceiling and I would just be like, it's happening. Like it's all happening. And like, I was like, don't say that out loud. But it was like, it was just like, this is happening. Like, I don't know what's happening. Like, and it was, that was such a crazy yeah. adrenaline, bizarre, sure terrifying feeling. And it, I know more now. So yes, it's, it's certainly there are moments that like that happens. Like for example, like, we just announced that we have a book coming out and which, by the way, you can pre-order theskim.com slash book. How to Skim Your Life. How to Skim Your Life. Comes so out proud June. of you. Thank you. When we announced that, that's like another moment that I'm like, oh my God, this is happening. I can't believe this. And and the moment of like, what are people going to think? Are they going to, I mean, I've been like sitting in anxiety because my book's coming out next week of like, are people going to like it? Are they going to love it? Is it going to like, I it's think hard. about that less now, though. And I think about it more. But <laughs> I think about it less now. And I... You care about what people think less now? I have tougher skin now because you had to. But I think it's also... We also know more now. And, like, we've been through stuff. Like, we've been through shit. Like, we've we've had hard times. We'll have harder times. But, like, we've had the ups and downs. And so I have less of the, like, wide-eyed feeling a lot. But don't yeah. you love... I love the wide-eyed feeling. I love it. Right? Well, I think about us... In almost like two phases, right? Like that 25-year-old girl who like saw something and quit her job. And I'm like, that person is much riskier than the person I am today. Mm -hmm. And sometimes 
I think about like at 25, like is this, you know, who I thought I would become like six years later, right? A thousand percent, yeah. And um, I think about that a lot, that like we are two people and I think we can channel that version of ourselves at different points. And I think to Carly's point, when we started, what I was completely taken aback by was like, I didn't really care people that I knew, like what what they would think. I was completely shocked that like these big media companies, which was everyone else at that size at that time, because we were two people, cared, like cared enough to talk about us, Mm. cared enough to like criticize us, Mm. cared enough to have an opinion. I was totally taken aback by that. And when I think about launching anonymously and the debate there, it was not that I was scared about what people thought. I just thought it was an interesting idea. Yeah. So I think I was genuinely shocked that something that we could create would have that much impact from day one to even have something that was like an email forward around to CEOs. But we, I mean, I remember so vividly. I mean, like we say it, we used to say it all the time. We say it less now, but we said it this week, which was like, we'd be like, what have we done? Like we would just look at each other and just yeah. be like, what yeah. have we done? I mean, it, like this week we we interviewed Howard Schultz and Madeline Albright was here today. And, mm. and we were just like, what have we done? Like how is well, this we a actually, normal week? We had a great, um, our former chief of staff who we adore, um, who left at the end of the year to start her next adventure. Amazing. We had a great email exchange with her last night and she emailed us and she said, I remember my first two days on the job, I was given the task of hunting down Howard Schultz's email. And she's like, and now four years later, you guys just interviewed him. It's amazing. And that stuff like still creates. That gets me so much. That is like the wide eyed. Like I'm a very sentimental person and that stuff gets me. Yesterday we had all these girls come in for our third to fifth grade club. I'm like, oh my God. I saw that How is this happening? Yeah. But to your point, right? I I think about this a lot too. Like, because you still want to channel that 25 year old because Mm -hmm. I think the more successful you become, the harder it is to take risks because the more you have at stake Mm -hmm. to lose. Are there practices that you guys feel like you do to make yourself, you know? Yes. So, tell us. Oh my tell gosh, me. Here Carly, she goes. Carly does not like this, but <laughs> no, I like it. So when we started, I read The Secret. Like, I love that book. It was my I thing. I love that book. I used to read it on the subway in DC to work every day. I would write like post-it notes. My mom actually got like The Secret. They did these like um, cards and she used to tape them up in our house. And so when we would start school, she would like put it on our mirror, That's right? Crazy. And if we went through a breakup, like it'd be like a different card. <laughs> um, and so when I got my first job, it was like, read the secret, right? You have to like manifest this. And then when we started the company, I got into it again. And I was really like not focused on it for the past five years. And then this year, I made the decision not to make any New Year's resolutions. And instead, I wrote a year-long manifestation. So I wrote like what this year would be for me as if it was New Year's Eve next year. And I'm making Carly now. We're writing a three-year manifestation and oh, I'm putting it that. out there on this podcast so that we're putting it out there that we've written it. It's great. You have yeah. to show up and do it. We have a time carved out to do it together. I believe that you can call things into the universe I and agree. that they happen. I believe that too. I completely believe in that. I just, um, I'm not as... I don't diligent or I, I'm not as um, tactical tactical as Danielle is about it. Well, it's a, you know, look, I think it takes a lot of it, but I think mm-hmm. that that's part of the idea of like believing in yourself. So you guys get some slack for saying that the skim oversimplifies news for women. Mm-hmm. 
How would you, how do you respond to that? There's a few things I want to say. One is we know who our audience is and we know who we are. We, what, I think when we think about what we've created and the value in it, there's two things. It's our voice and our community. And when people say that, uh, they're actually, they're not hurting our feelings. They're not insulting us. They're actually insulting our community. And we've heard that from our community. And I think last year, I believe it was last year, there was a debate about us um, on Twitter and uh, an article written. And all these people were tweeting about it. And we were like, maybe we, we didn't even pay it. Like we didn't, you know, people criticize, you know, we, all the time. And that's just, the, that's the nature of the beast. And like, we have developed tough skin around that. So I didn't give it a second look. But then we were getting um, a lot of tweets. And so someone was like, you take a look. It was all from media reporters. Mm-hmm. And when our community saw this, they were like, I've never heard of this outlet, or I don't know where this reporter works. And these were all names that like we all know. Um, but I thought it said so much that we were hearing from places and people that we actually drive a tremendous amount of traffic to every day. And so we would get a tweet like that, or we'd get an article like that, but then separately we would hear from their publisher, or we would hear from the business side of their organizations being like, thank you for being the gateway to us. And so I think that, you know, there's always the, we always hear about, you know, people are always looking for the next thing to kind of criticize or especially um, women. I think that's a big part of it, which is we've been clear about this from the beginning, which is we fundamentally do not agree that there should be a one size fits all approach to news and information. Just because you like reading the Wall Street Journal doesn't mean that you also can't like reading the skim. Or and it doesn't make you more intelligent that you no, like the Wall Street Journal or you exactly. read the Wall Street Journal. So why I, I think we should be as long as the information that you are getting is factually correct, we should be celebrating the fact that people are are trying to get Listen, informed. I, I read the skim every morning yeah, and it's, it's it's but well, it's often you're not like, alone. You're with seven million other you. people. <laughs> but it's kind of this thing where like the dog wants to walk, go out, the baby's crying. Yeah. I want to read the news. Like I'm in the bathroom. Like and it's like it's the like best great. way I can respond to anyone that, you know, does want to give us flack is we got two hundred thousand people to show up in the midterms and vote. We got 110,000 people in 2016 to register to vote. What we are doing is getting people to engage and activate that weren't before. And so if anything, like one, we will obviously never apologize for that. But two, we're so fucking proud of that. And people should be applauding civic engagement and people should be happy to hear that. I also think from a media reporter perspective, which is a lot of the times where the criticism comes from, Look at our business model. Like in a moment when we're seeing layoffs yeah. across the board, like you're hiring people. I mean, yeah, but even more important than hiring, we're really strong financially, yeah. and we have a diverse revenue stream. We're not gambling. The, the noise you hear is have, all of us not very superstitious. But I think that it's really easy to critique one thing, but like look at the business and look Mm -hmm. at what we've created and look at what else is in the market. Listen, I also think it's, I always say like, you know, show me a strong woman and show me someone who's not trying to take her down. I mean, not to put this all on gender, but I still think we live in a society that's not used to seeing women succeed at the level and in the industry that you're in. And when you're first you know, it's hard. How do you stay brave and stay strong? For a lot of us, again, who've been who've grown up to be liked and to care about what other people think. I mean, I find myself getting caught up in that often. Again, like, what what do you do to I to not let that voice sometimes that's in your in your I head? Mean, it's in- obviously like it's easier said than done, but I think the self check that we do versus ourselves and especially for one another is perspective, which is. 
my job and Danielle's job every day as co-CEOs is we have to add value to the business. We have to hire people that would add, would add value to the business. We have to make decisions that add value. We have to bring in investors that add value. And me thinking about like a hater, one person, like what, what does that do? Uh, it does not add value and it's a distraction. I also think like there's been different moments or different drivers at different times, but we have over 90 employees out there that need us to do our job and need us to focus on what we're building. And so they need us to be strong and we need them to build the business. So I also think, you know, we have a fiduciary responsibility, like not only to our investors and our employees, but we also feel that for our families and for, you know, ourselves. I think the idea of being strong has meant things at different times in the company. And Mm. so I think those points that have been like really low points, you look back and you're like, wait a minute, like I got through that. Like that was actually really, really hard. So let's put this into perspective. I think also our families, like they kind of like- They check us. They check us. Your mom comes with a secret card. She's like, like, all right. (laughs) They like, they check us. They laugh off things. They put it into perspective. And I think that also having co-founder relationship, like we're co-founders and co-CEOs. So when the other one is down, it's like, okay, cool. You get five minutes to like be down and be like, yeah. you know, in this funk. And then like, I need you. Yeah. We always say right now, perfect. Like put a, put a finite amount of time on like grieving about failure. So last question, you know, what's your brave, not perfect moment, right? Where you kind of put your, you decided to like put your fear of failure behind and just go for it. You know, I think um, one thing is, this is kind of a random thing, but we, when Carly and I started the company, it was the two of us and we were 25 years old and like everything was new, but we had no real management training at all. So hiring a team and managing a team every day is an exercise in brave, not perfect. And the biggest point like that I realized that every single week <laughs> is we lead our team meetings. And every single week, I get really nervous before a team meeting. And I just have to make the decision. Like, And I start thinking about it like Sunday nights of just like going in front of now it's like close to 100 people. And I'm fine speaking in front of the like to press or whatever. Like that doesn't bother me. But speaking in front of our team and trying to be clearly communicate expectations and say this and don't say this and say it this way and motivate. Like that is something that every week I just have to get out there and be like, okay, I'm not going to say this perfectly, but like we are the only ones that can do this. So we're going to have to do it. I definitely feel the same way about that, but I won't say the same thing. Uh, I think learning how to negotiate for ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, That's a totally different ballgame. We've never had to do that in our previous careers. You're given a salary. That was your salary. You like got a raise. Thank you. There was, was no conversation. I didn't even know you could have a conversation. And so we have investors. We have a board. We have to go through budgets. And just being able and learning the the words and the verbiage of how to how to negotiate for yourself. That, that is something new, and it makes me want to throw up every time. Thanks, guys. It's always wonderful hey, spending you. time with you. Same here. I'm so Could, excited. Thank you. And I so can't good. wait for your book to come out. Thank sure. you. Tell everybody about it again. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Brave Not Perfect. Want to make bravery a part of your everyday routine? You can buy my newest book, Brave Not Perfect. Fear less, fail more, and live bolder. It's on shelves now and available at your favorite local or online retailer. I can't wait to hear what you think. Till next time, this has been another episode of Brave Not Perfect with me, Reshma Sajani.
Brave Not Perfect is produced by Tanya Zaporanik and Emily Scheinbar and edited by Jenny Josephson with music composed by Poddington Bear licensed under a Creative Commons license.